You're listening to the Teaching Matters podcast, brought to you by the University of Edinburgh and part of the Teaching Matters blog. Teaching Matters brings together students and staff in conversation, debate, and celebration of learning and teaching in higher education. In this episode, Robbie Nicholl, a professor of place-based education, and Heidi Smith, a lecturer of outdoor learning at Morrie House School of Education and Sport, continue their conversation about the critical role of place-based education in hybrid teaching and learning. Feel free to share your comments with us, either directly on the blog, or email us at teachingmatters at ed.ac.uk. You can listen and subscribe to the Teaching Matters podcast at Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and our music is provided by Hook Sounds. This is an interview with Heidi Smith conducted by Robbie Nicholl because Heidi's been doing some really innovative in-person dissertation supervision outdoors, uh, which is safe in these COVID times. Heidi, I know that you've been doing some really innovative work uh, doing face-to-face dissertation supervision outdoors. Tell me about your dissertation courses and the adaptions you have made due to COVID. Sure, Robbie. So when COVID came into our worlds at the university, we were required to shift all of our learning online. For the dissertation courses, we had a number of seminars planned that were going to be in person on campus. These were really easily shifted to the online space and were really well attended by all students. What what I realised, though, was that there weren't enough of them and that when we moved to the online space, there was a lot less engagement for students, engagement opportunities for students. So what I did was I invited students from the previous cohort to come along and present their dissertations online. These were really well attended and the students did an excellent job in sharing what they had learnt, what their project was about and also the outcomes of their research. Part-time students were able to come along to these as well, well, where they normally found it really difficult to attend due to work commitments and being outside of Edinburgh. Then for my one-on-one dissertation supervision meetings, I created a team space and within that team space for all students in our programs, I created some private channels for individual students that I was supervising. This allowed them to chat with me informally, ask those quick questions that they used to ask when they'd stick their head inside my door in my office, and also a space where they could share documents, I could provide feedback and we could arrange meetings. I found these private channels for supervision for students to be fantastic and will be something that I will always use, whether it's in person or online in the future. Thanks, Heidi. And just to clarify that we're actually talking about master's students, but the principles that we're talking about would apply equally to undergraduate supervisions as well, yeah? Yeah, actually, I am actually also undertaking, since this has all started in the last few months, I've taken on some other undergraduate students and other master's students and have used the similar space for them within teams. I find it really easy to manage the high number of students I'm supervising as well. So I've got a really clear view of who I'm supervising and where everyone's up to. Great, thank you. Why did you decide to take meetings in person outside? Yeah, so this was something that sort of developed slowly. Um, Initially, I was really pleased with how all the online supervision was going. And it was really, I found it really easy, like I said, to manage, but also to just be really clear where everyone was up to. Um, But slowly I realised that there was something missing. The longer these students were required to undertake their dissertations and supervisions online, 
the greater I saw a need for in-person meetings. And it wasn't just me that saw that need. Slowly students one by one started to ask me if they might have an in-person meeting and when that might be possible. They were aware that because of COVID, it wasn't possible early on. But um, as soon as I found a way um, and the restrictions allowed me to do so, I arranged for some in-person meetings with, some st with, my, with students who were available and in Edinburgh. I was aware that there were some that were based in other countries and not able to have in-person meetings, but I was really open with them about that, the fact that I was going to offer it to those who were in Edinburgh, and they were fine with that. Yeah, that's really interesting how you've adapted your practice in line with COVID and all the different uh, guidance that's come from the Scottish Government at the same time, and your practice has developed along the way. So that, that, I'd just like to say uh, congratulations to you. That's a, it's a really sort of important uh, these are really important developments that you're leading here and it's important they're shared with other people. Um, I'm sure people would be interested to understand how you went about completing the risk assessment form. Could you say something about that? Yeah, for sure. And I think in completing the risk assessment form too, it wasn't just about identifying risks. It was also about in ensuring equity and inclusion for all students, which is what I just sort of alluded to about the fact that not all students were in Edinburgh. However, that that shouldn't mean that I, I don't offer them an in-person um, meeting. And, um, and I think just being open about that as well. And, and that came up as part of the risk assessment. When I was completing the risk assessment, it made it very clear to me that not everyone would be afforded the exact same opportunity, but they were definitely getting the support they needed individually to complete their, their dissertations. So pragmatically, I completed a risk assessment form that's available through the university, and this makes um, encourages you to think about risks that might and hazards that are there for people, place, and environment. Um, I um, I'm really familiar with completing risk assessment forms, and what I like about it is it really makes you think about the learning experience that you're offering and any risks that might arise during that process so that you can be pre-prepared for anything that might happen while you're out there. Yeah, that's fascinating, thank you. Um, and because of COVID, uh, did you take any additional precautions in the risk assessment? Yes, I did. So a couple of the things that came up for me that I realised I'd have to be really mindful of was um, access to toilets and hand-washing facilities of the Scottish Government guidelines as well because I knew that students and myself would be travelling to the site and so that meant and the site that I one of the sites I chose was Portobello Beach and down at the Portobello Beach um, the public toilets have been closed so we needed to find toilets that would be accessible um, and also students could wash their hands on arrival if they'd been travelling on public transport or, or in other ways and wanted to do that. I also had hand sanitizer with me. I also had a first aid kit with me and I considered the general public and the access to open wide spaces. And Portobello Beach, if you're familiar with the site, has lots and lots of sand. Um, there's many, it's almost like multiple beaches. So if one space, um, which I decided upon was, you know, in front of a cafe, so it would be easy to find. If that was really busy, there was plenty of other spaces we could move to to ensure that we maintained a two metre distancing from other people and from each other. Um, so that was really helpful. And um, I also really wanted to think about the general public and make sure that um, we weren't impacting on their use of that public space. Um, oh, and the other thing, sorry, the other thing I did do too is I informed students via email um, 
with really clear points on a process that I required them to follow. So I asked them to bring their own first aid requirements that might be needed, their own hand sanitizer, their own food and drinks so that there would be no sharing between us or other people and, um, and just made it really clear and that in them accepting to come to the meeting, they were agreeing to follow those guidelines so that we didn't have to discuss them when they arrived and we could focus on the learning. It seems to me that uh, what you're talking about, Heidi, might be considered as simply good practice in any other outdoor learning environment anyway. Would that be right? Yes, it would be. And I think the when you asked about, you know, because of COVID, what was what was it, what are any additional precautions did I take? I think it's the same with any learning. If you take learning outside or into a space that you're not familiar with, and even in an indoor space, all of us as good educators undertake risk assessment of the spaces that we're working in to ensure that people are safe. And when we change those places and spaces, we have to take into consideration additional precautions. And so in many ways, no, it was no different because when I would take learning outside, I need to know that my learners have access to toilets and hand washing and food and other things like that. So it really um, isn't that different in many ways, but in some ways it is because of the Scottish guidelines, I needed to make sure we were following those and not in breach of those. That's fine. And if people wanted to find uh, these guidelines, where would they look? The Scottish um, Government guidelines. Yeah, so they're on the Scottish Government um, website. And if you Google Scottish Government um, facts, you'll find them really easily. Okay, so that's facts in capital letters. Mm -hmm. Good, thank you. What's the difference between a static and dynamic risk assessment? So for me, static is what I described before in what I do before I take learning outside or before I take learning um, somewhere, whether it's indoors or outside. Um, and even um, in other spaces as well. I guess it's the form filling in and the thinking through the process of what, you know, where am I going? What's a good place to go for this learning? Where, where is the best place to go um, to make sure that students have the best possible learning experience? And also just the practicalities of what I'm going to have with me, um, first aid kit, hand sanitizer, waterproof clothing, sun protective clothing those kinds of things and making sure that students also have the information so they know what they need to bring and are not are not turning up without what's required or at least have the information to turn up with what's required to be safe and comfortable and able to learn, ready to learn. And the dynamic I suppose is, for me, is responding to what actually happens when you're out and about and um, undertaking learning and teaching in the outdoors. And this becomes more broad, I think, and really starts to incorporate um, what what I think I, I consider to be safe relating where a good educator is responsive to learning and you can't pre-plan for this um, it's really things come up so and it could result in a in a safety issue or it could result in a really valuable rich teaching teaching experience that you hadn't planned for that that comes up and you can respond to so it's sort of it's more than just um, risk assessment it's also being dynamic and responsive to the learning as well. So did anything of that nature happen to you when you were supervising the students? Yes, it did. Um, so I was down at the beach for four hours and had four separate meetings with four different students. So in some ways I needed to be dynamic to students arriving and students leaving. And the students were really, really um, excellent at maintaining the two metre physical distancing, which I found really, um, really great and really helpful. Um, so we um, we found the first student and I found a spot on the beach and there was practically no one down at the beach at this time. It was one o'clock in the afternoon, so we're quite surprised the beach was quite empty. But we still went and found a spot that was fairly far from every as far away from everybody else as we could. And 
and then started our meeting. As the meeting, first meeting progressed, it was pretty uneventful. But by the end of that first meeting, when the second student arrived, we became very aware that the groups of people were getting larger around us and were getting closer to us. So for the second student, we moved um, a little bit further away from the people. So that was uh, really interesting. And that continued throughout the afternoon. By the end of the afternoon, we were significantly further away from where we'd started. The other thing that happened was that uh, there were some other university students down at the beach. It was during welcome week and they were having a great game of Frisbee and the Frisbee nearly hit me on the head. So that was quite humorous um, and again prompted us to move a little bit further from them. But they were really lovely and apologetic. It was an accident. But these things happen when you're out and about, I suppose, with other people. And the last thing was that um, right late in the afternoon, a woman walking along the water's edge um, actually collapsed into the water and was helped by some other um, general public and the two people who'd been playing Frisbee earlier. So it was really lovely to see um, how helpful everybody was. But we felt the need to monitor her a little bit because we were a bit concerned. It wasn't clear why she had collapsed. So we just sat and watched. We, we broke our meeting up and just watched and observed for a while. And when we thought she was safe, we continued on. And then later on during that meeting, I actually went and checked on her because I noticed she was still sitting on the on the wall near the beach and was very wet and cold. And by that, then the sun had dropped. So just checked in with her and she was fine. And it really resulted in a really interesting conversation with this student about how when we teach and learn outside, all the different factors that impact that and um, offered a great opportunity to discuss how we manage general public and not just our own students who might who might also collapse during a lesson, indoors or outdoors. Yeah, that's a really interesting example because there's a concern that um, by taking our students outdoors and interacting with the public that the, that those interactions might be in some ways negative because the public are uh, wondering what on earth is going on with COVID and students being learning outdoors. But this is a really good example of how you're saying that, well, do you know, but actually by actually being out there, our students are, and our staff are able to interact with the public in a very sort of positive um, health related um, way. Um, yeah. So we'll move on to the last question, Heidi. Uh, what advice would you offer to people who do not normally take their students outdoors? Um, my advice would be if you can teach indoors well, then you can teach outdoors well. It's, um, it really requires a, a shift in thinking and good pedagogy is possible in all spaces and places. And I really believe that the outdoors offers different affordances that are not present indoors and particularly, and, and also online. And at the moment, I think some of the discussions around the challenges of learning and teaching online is that we, we lose these informal chats that we have with our students between classes that are so rich and the outdoors really encourages that and um, really allows for that to happen as well. So I think, Generally, if you if you can teach well indoors, you can teach well outdoors. So um, have a go would be my my encouragement. And um, I think one of the things that research tells us is that people with less experience of teaching and learning outdoors or even just being outdoors tend to use weather as a barrier to taking learning outdoors. And here in Scotland, I think that would be really easy to use weather as a reason not to go because of its unpredictability. But if you're listening to this and want to take learning outside, then come and talk to us about how you might do so, because I think we underestimate how how much students value our le learning outside and how willing they are to come prepared and be prepared um, with weather, um, weatherproof clothing or sunproof clothing. And our team in Murray House are really, really welcome conversations about at how you might take learning outside. And there's a wealth of knowledge and experience that can support you if that's something you'd like to do.